Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for October 13th is Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 50, and Luke chapter 11. The power of the chronological reading plan is coming into play here again in the Gospels because we are able to compare Scripture with Scripture gospel story with gospel story to get a more accurate view of what's being communicated and what took place. We begin reading about the story of the demon-possessed man who was brought to Jesus, whom Jesus delivered. People were muttering under their breath and saying, he only casts out these devils by the power of Satan or Beelzebub. And Jesus rebukes them quite harshly, as he should have. They were ascribing the power of God's Holy Spirit at work to Satan. That's quite an escalation from just saying Jesus was a false prophet. It started with the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance in which religious leaders were unwilling to repent. They dug their heels in because they didn't have the humility to admit that perhaps John the Baptist was right and they needed to repent. Time went by, tensions rose, and now Jesus is healing people and it's amazing what he's doing And these religious leaders have dug their heels in even farther. And now they're going so far as to ascribe the work of the Holy Spirit, which was a testimony and marker, a road sign, if you will, to the fact that Jesus was the one whom God sent. And they were ascribing the work of God, the very work of God, setting captives free, raising the dead, casting out demons, and all of the other things that Jesus was doing. These people were saying it was Satan doing it. The work of the Holy Spirit is the express manifestation of God's power, his glory, his presence. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that points to the fact that God is at work. Paul wrote that he was grateful that when he spoke the word of God, there were signs and miracles to confirm so that the people would not have to trust his eloquence, but they could trust the power of God. To ascribe the power of God to the enemy in order to defend yourself is completely reprehensible. And that's exactly what these people were doing. That is why Jesus said, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this world or in the age to come. He goes on to say in verse 34, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So what do we find ourselves speaking about most? Think back about the words that have come out of your mouth over the past days, weeks, months, and years. What are you known for? Are you more known for speaking 
about the way people hurt you or about the way God healed you? Are you more likely to be overheard speaking about the gifts God has given you, the things in your life, such as your work or your family? Or are you more likely to be speaking about the giver of those gifts, who is the author of life and the provider of all things we receive in this life? Verse 36 is scary to me, and it should be to everyone. On the day of judgment, for every careless word you speak, you will be held accountable, and so will I. In studying these words, I've never been more convicted than I am right now. What is it that I speak about? When I see friends, why am I so quick to complain about something I experienced and so slow to speak about how faithful my God is? I must pray, God, help me. Change me, Father. Help me in this way. Please forgive me for my mouth and the words that have come out of my mouth. Please change me, quicken me by your Holy Spirit so that I speak about more things that are lifting others up rather than dragging them down. Our words are so important because they are a temperature gauge and a barometer and a testimony as to the things that are on our heart. What do you find yourself speaking about, friend? Verses 43 through 45, Jesus tells the story of what happens when a demon is cast out of a person and they're looking for a place, they're looking for a new assignment, a new person to torment, and when they don't find something, they go back and check on the person they were cast out of and they find that that house has been swept clean and everything's been put in order and they go back and terrorize that person because they bring in seven other demons who are even more evil and then the end result is that person was worse off afterward than they had been in the first place. This is certainly not suggesting that we should not perform deliverance and that we shouldn't help people be liberated from demonic possession and torment. What it is saying is after you're delivered, you need to work on your character and grow so that the windows and doors and footholds are being stripped away from the enemy and they don't have access to come back. People get delivered and then they need deliverance again week after week or month after month because they're never filling the void of their character and they're always allowing this enemy the opportunity to come back. It does no good to clean the house if all of the windows and doors are open. It does no good to kick out the thief and then leave the home with the door unlocked. And this is what Christians do quite a bit. It's incredibly important, friends, that we grow in character. And sometimes that can be as simple as forgiving somebody who has hurt us in the past. But all character growth is the same. It's asking God to come in and change us from who we were into who he wants us to be. We should not want the same things as we mature in Christ that we used to want when we were brand new believers or before we came to Christ. 
A mature believer should not struggle with lust the same way that a new believer does. A mature believer should not struggle with greed the same way a new believer or an unbeliever does. So we're given this instruction by Jesus to listen to our words to see what it is that we are idolizing. And then we are told when we are set free, we have the opportunity to grow, lock the doors to our spiritual house. Growing is akin to locking the doors of our spiritual house so that the enemy cannot come in and plunder us anymore. There is an epidemic of spiritual immaturity of the, in the body of Christ today, and it's time that we grow up and mature so that we're no longer offended so easily by our neighbors, by our brothers and sisters, and we're able to become united as Jesus prayed for us to be. It's no coincidence that the next paragraph, beginning in verse 46, talks about the true relationships in the kingdom. Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters came to him. They were trying to get him to come home and stop making a scene, but his response was, these people here who are doing the will of my Father in heaven are my mother and brothers and sisters. This is my family. I cannot be held back by what my society, my culture, my upbringing dictate what things are supposed to look like. I will forsake everything in order to be wholly devoted to the kingdom of heaven, even if it costs me my most precious personal relationships. Luke 11 has the Lord's Prayer, which we've already covered in a previous recording. We learn about asking, seeking, knocking. Which of you would not give good gifts to your children? If you know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's Luke 11:13. We should all be praying, asking God for more of His Holy Spirit on a daily basis. At the end of Luke 11, Jesus is having another confrontation with religious leaders whose feet are dug in, who are unwilling to repent of their sin, of their pride. And Jesus tells them in verse 42 that they are bypassing justice and the love of God. You are forsaking or bypassing justice. You are setting aside or going around the thing you know to be right and true, you're bypassing love for God in order to preserve your own place in society. We must learn to not be as those people were. And of course, our first response is, oh, that's definitely not me. And if that response is quick and automatic, That should be a sign that we need to closely evaluate ourselves. The last verse of Luke 11, verse 54, says, They were lying in wait for him to trap him in what he said. This is a classic example, once again, of the people listening to respond rather than listening to understand. These people, if they didn't repent, ended up going to hell. 
they were the religious leaders of the time and they wound up in hell because they were so convinced that they were right and they were unwilling and unmotivated to learn what Jesus was trying to get across to them. In every relationship you have, when you are listening to a sermon on Sunday morning, or when you're listening to your mother or your wife or your daughter or any other person, maybe a colleague, maybe a neighbor, don't listen to respond. That's arrogance. Listen to understand. This will bless your relationships and even more importantly, it could spare your soul. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow.